Hi, welcome back to Shop Talk with the Sheriff. I'm Sheriff Gregory Tony here in Broward County. Thank you all for joining us once again on our podcast. For those of you who've been following us for really over almost a year now, you've seen a pattern. We always bring in guests who are pretty much engaged in the community. Sometimes our guests are in-house. It could be someone in our special operations component, strategic investigations, traffic, whatever it may be. But today we're going outside. We're bringing in the big guns. We're bringing in uh, a very special guest who has been involved in so much in law enforcement for decades now, both he and his family, the name speak for itself. But today's special guest is Callahan Walsh. Uh, Callahan, if the last name Walsh jumps off and it rings a bell, there's a reason. Uh, he and his father, John Walsh, have been huge advocates in the law enforcement profession for decades and decades on end, from the very popular show, America's Most Wanted, to In Pursuit, where he is co-hosting now, in the tremendous amount of work that they have done to establish and launch out the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. You'll hear us refer to that as NICMED because it's a tongue twister, but we are talking about, again, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. We are extremely pleased to have Callahan on today to talk about some of the great work that he has been involved in in his career, the path that he took, uh, follow within the footsteps of his father, and the tremendous contribution that they have uh, provided within law enforcement and the safety and security of our country. Um, the folks that they help us go after and the things that they help us do uh, to mitigate threats to young folks and children in, in this country is just tremendous. So, Callahan, my man, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you for having me. A big fan of the podcast. Um, you know, a lot of the work that we do at the National Center, I'm a big, big advocate of community outreach and, and really strengthening that bond with the public and, and having that, that th this mode of, of communication with them to get that information out, I'll really help uh, the public understand what you guys do, what happens sort of behind the scenes, I think is a great thing. So really honored to be here and, and thanks for having me. No, it's really great. And, you know, we, again, we started our podcast really kind of infancy phase over about a year ago. And you're right, the message, the soundboard, be, being able to bring people in, show them more about what we're doing, getting them involved in the activities that you're doing so that we have more champions and advocates out there. We can't do this job on our own. Uh, for as much as people think law enforcement got it, they'd be surprised at all the different relationships we have with your organization and many others. So, you know, one of the things I always kind of pivot to um, is to launch kind of the, the personal side of the why, right? Everyone has their why. I have my why. I grew up in the inner city, survived all type of atrocities, home invasions. And I said, I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to fight against these bad guys. I'm going to take them down and ultimately arrived in law enforcement. What were some of the driving factors and forces behind your family story? You know, it's well known for the most part, but I need, I'd never leave anything to pass. I'd love to hear about that journey. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I come from a family of tragedy. My brother, Adam Walsh, was kidnapped uh, when he was just six years old here in South Florida in 1981. At the time, uh, my father had nothing to do with law enforcement. He was a hotel builder, in fact, uh, a businessman, an entrepreneur. And when Adam went missing, uh, there was just a real lack of services and understanding around missing children's issues, um, specifically from a, federal, a national perspective. You know, we had local law enforcement helping to search for Adam. But at the time, the FBI didn't even want to get involved in missing children's cases. NCIC um, was a brand new system at the time where they could share information about crimes. They refused to put Adam's case in, in, in there. They had stolen racehorses and, and speedboats, but they refused to enter stolen children. Mm -hmm. So my father seeing and grieving over the, the, the death of, of his first son and my mother as well 
they realized they needed to do something. So they started going up to Washington, D.C. to try to testify and, and try to change you know, legislation in, in favor of, of children and victims' rights. And one of the times they were up there in D.C., they um, asked their cab driver to take them to the children's building because they, they needed to uh, make some photocopies of some documents that they had that they were going to, to, to use up on Capitol Hill. And they said, you know, the taxi driver, like, take us to the children's building, like an advocacy center for children. And the taxi driver couldn't do that. And it wasn't because he didn't know of one or because it was too far away, but it right. didn't exist. You know, we know there's so many special interest groups up there in D.C., right in the Capitol. And there was no group for children. There was no organization. And so my parents started what, what uh, started as the Adam Walsh Resource Center in our garage in South Florida off just wow. a, a card table and a landline and, and a few other uh, volunteers, child advocates. And over the years, as we gained momentum and, and President Reagan uh, uh, allocated federal funding, uh, we created the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, now headquartered up in D.C., although we still have a branch office here in Florida and in Palm Beach County. But that, that now National Center for Missing and Exploited Children uh, went on to do some incredible advocacy work, uh, obviously prevention education, but real operational stuff as well, too, assisting law enforcement in the recovery of missing children. In fact, we've helped recover over 340,000 missing kids. It's an incredible number. Uh, wow. I don't think my parents would have ever known, you know, we would get to the place that we are now. And National Center has been in operation for just over 36 years. And and starting in that garage, I don't think my parents could ever really fully understand where we would be today. You know, you know obviously it's amazing. Uh, I, I hate to cut you off and, and you're, you're on a roll, baby. And, and that's what I wanted to open up with. And it, it just speak to the testament behind the strength of your family and that committal where uh, oftentimes when people are, suffer from tragedy, um, they find themselves in, in a dark place. I've been there. We've all been there. But yeah. what you and your family has elected to do was to take tragedy and the triumph and contribute greatly to this country in this whole world uh, versus sitting in the dark, you've brought to light so many different things um, about the vulnerabilities between our youth and our children and then taking it to a point where was it over 300, I have 380 plus thousand. That's, that's remarkable. Tell us a little bit more about what that looks like, you know, that process. What are you doing? How does it work on an operational standpoint where you all are contributing to law enforcement to have that type of success? Absolutely. So we have uh, a dedicated division at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at NICMIC. Uh, it's our Missing Children's Division. And they are, um, you know, it, it's, it's a group of individuals. It's, it's one of our largest divisions, um, it, mostly case managers. And these individuals are working directly with families and law enforcement to sort of be that conduit to let the, the families know, hey, you know, law enforcement is working on your case. Here's some of the updates. Here's some other ways that the National Center can help. Um, working with families to provide them services, mental health services while they're looking for, you know, when you have a missing child, that's the, the worst case scenario for any parent. We also do poster distribution for our missing children. We have Team Adam, we have Project Alert. I mean, so many different programs. We have our forensic unit within MCD, our missing children's division that does age progressions of our long-term missing children, composites of unidentified remains. I mean, there's just so much that we do to assist law enforcement and we're free. We, you know, we don't charge the parents, we don't charge law enforcement. 
what we do is to assist the public and assist law enforcement in these recoveries. And it can be anything from, again, social media blasts and poster distribution to sending our Team Adam folks who are boots on the ground, former law enforcement officers who specialize in missing children's, uh, you know, landfill searches, grid searches, coordinating uh, volunteers. We'll send those guys uh, and women directly to where these missing children's cases happen and assisting law enforcement in the coordination. So there's just so much that we do. And all of that uh, you know, combination is why we've had such an incredible success. Rate. Well, and the, and the success that you're having there is echoing right down here in Broward County. As you know, we have our Internet Crimes Against Children unit that we work with um, here in the county, kind of leading up that that approach of attacking these folks on the Internet platforms and everything else. And we're constantly putting educational forums out there. And you all are right by our side with that. And we wouldn't have the success that we've had here in Broward County taking folks off the streets uh, who are targeting these young kids, uh, using these platforms from Snapchat to Twitter to whatever it may be, uh, shaking down these young folks who don't know better. And, you know, you're just a great resource. Uh, what would you add from what you've seen over the last few years, you know, Callahan, with the going to the technology, right? We're talking about these apps. Uh, have you seen it get worse out there, so to speak, in terms of how technology is just really getting access to our children? Yes, unfortunately, we exactly. have seen yeah, we have seen a, a big spike in the exploitation of children online. Now, the Internet has created life for the better in, in so many ways, right? And there's so many great uses of technology in the Internet, and it's not going away anytime soon. Right. You know, we, you know and, and it is a great tool for children, too. It's a great learning uh, tool, the communication as well. However, you know, with like the, the Uncle Ben quote, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> That's right. And so parents have the responsibility to teach their kids how to operate and how to be good digital citizens, how to use uh, those online services in, in, in the right manner and not to get in trouble. Empower those children with positive, safe and smart decision making. You know, at the National Center, we operate what's called the cyber tip line. And that is a, a, a reporting mechanism for the public, for law enforcement and Internet service providers to report any instances of child sexual abuse. That's you know, sextortion, grooming, luring, mm -hmm. uh, child molestation, uh, child pornography, you know, child sexual abuse material. All of those reports are, are, are sent to the National Center. In, in fact, internet service providers, the platforms that we were just talking about, they're federally mandated to send us those reports. So any instances, they're sent to the National Center. In 2019, we had 16.9 million reports. In 2020, wow. we had 21.7 million reports of suspected child sexual exploitation. So during the pandemic in that first year, we did see a, a, a big rise. We've seen a rise you know, over the years steadily, but specifically from 2019 to 2020, um, you know, we were all experiencing more screen time, you know, parents right. and children alike, and it created more opportunities for these predators to harm kids. And we even saw chatter on the dark web amongst these predators talking about how this is a great time and sharing best practices. That's so interesting to, to hear those data points. And, you know, some things we just um, kind of ignore doesn't come in the forefront of our heads when we're thinking about the repercussions from what happened with COVID-19 and shutting us down as a society, as a planet. Uh, and putting us in this social distancing capacity, which enhanced, you know, even in my phone, I look at my phone time and I'm, I'm on there a little too much at times, right? We're all horrible. But how that rolls into the victimology aspect, having these predators try to capitalize on that because they too know that more people and these children are online and, and scrolling through their phones. 
And, and you know, it gave it gave a lot of parents a false sense of security when their kids home and they're sitting on the couch and the parents right. like, oh, they're good. They're here. They're home. But they're on their phone. They don't always know that parent doesn't always know who that child's talking to and what kind of you know behavior they're getting up to on online. You know, these phones, they're 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 computers. Right. And they have cameras attached to them and they're going with children in the bathroom, in the bedroom at night. It's not like, you know, the old family computer that was in the living room back in the day. That had to dial up and take 35 minutes to get plugged in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Dial up, make sure nobody's on, on the phone line. You know, yeah. it's different. And, and so that's why it's just so important for parents to understand that these dangers exist and to make sure they're talking to their children. And empowering. I'm so glad you're you're pushing back towards the parents, because one of our sergeants was on from ICAC and, and he just constantly went over that. And so now we're hearing it again from a different lens, another subject matter expert who's seeing this on the national scale and the millions of different type of, um, you know, threats and stuff that are coming in. And, you know, for the parents who are listening to one thing, I would just kind of simplify it in uh, to make it just on its baseline. You wouldn't invite a million strangers in your house that you never vetted or knew or anything, but we let it happen second by second of the day when our kids are scrolling through these phones. So pay attention to what exactly they're looking at, the content, put the safety measures in there, uh, hold them accountable. I know they're not going to want you to scroll through their phones, but until they're old enough to pay for their own rent and mortgage and move on out the house, uh, you're the gatekeeper. You know, Callahan, let's talk another um, topic, just a quick sidebar, because, you know, I know In Pursuit was the shift, the transition kind of, you know, from America's Most Wanted to this new phase. Let's talk about the show. Tell us a little bit about what that looked like, what's going on for, you know, maybe the two people on the planet who haven't seen it yet. <laughs> sure, sure. You know, and as you mentioned the, at the top of the, the show, um, you know, many people know my father from America's Most Wanted, a show he co-hosted for 25 years on Fox and was incredible, you know, an incredible success rate. We had captured over 1,400 worst of the worst criminals, 17 guys off the FBI's top 10 most wanted list. It was so successful. It actually captured more criminals than we aired episodes. We got at least one or two guys every single episode. It is. And I grew up on set, right? I grew up on set watching my father do that. And eventually, once I graduated college, I started working for my father. And I, I worked as a supervising producer, worked my way up, started in the mailroom, eventually it got up to, to supervisor, uh, supervising producer where I was producing segments and the recreations and all that. And I wanted to stay behind the scenes, behind the camera. And um, the show was canceled. We moved on. I helped co-create uh, another show for my father called The Hunt. Uh, and then I moved over to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. I said, I'm done with television. And when I got over there, they said, hey, why don't you be our spokesperson? <laughs> Put you right back in front of the TV. <laughs> I guess. And so I did that for a couple of years. I still am, am working for the National Center. That's my day job. I'm the executive director of our Florida branch office here in, in Palm Beach County. Um, but my father started a new show called In Pursuit with John Walsh on Investigation Discovery. And uh, it was actually Discovery's idea to say, hey, you know, when they were talking to my father, uh, do you think your son would like to join? We've seen him be an incredible child advocate for the nonprofit that you and your wife started. And my father said, you talk to him. I've been trying to get him on the show for years and he won't do it. So you try to bend his arm. And you know what? It, it worked. I think having that um, that camera time as, as a spokesperson for the organization uh, allowed me to be feel comfortable enough in front of the camera and really, yeah. I, you know, and, and also the I just seeing the success that my father had had and, and all the incredible, you know, bringing justice to families that so deserve it and capturing these bad guys. I just couldn't turn it down. And so we are on uh, in pursuit where we just finished our third season. 
we're about to shoot uh, season four. And just like America's Most Wanted, we profile these bad, bad guys, sometimes bad girls too. But, um, you know, we're not going after a guy that sold a nickel bag in the park. I That's mean, right. these are murderers. These are rapists. These are child Serious, molesters. Serious, violent predators and offenders that need to be off the street. Absolutely. And we feature missing children, National Center for Missing Exploited Children's cases. We feature two missing children every episode as well, too. So it's been an incredible partnership with Investigation Discovery and, and, and of course, law enforcement. Anytime I'm doing a case um, for the show, I want to make sure I've got uh, law enforcement on our side and the family. We're never going to do a case that the family doesn't want us to do or law enforcement doesn't want us to do because that's our biggest ally. We run our hotline, but we provide those tips to law enforcement to get the takedown. They're the ones making the arrest they're the ones putting their life on the line when we give them the information but again it's also the public so we kind of bridge that gap and really make sure we're utilizing the public because also as you mentioned law enforcement can't always be everywhere all of the time and oftentimes you know when these cases come to us it's because law enforcement has hit a wall and they say hey we need your help we need something else and in pursuit can be an investigative tool for law enforcement we put this information about these wanted fugitives out there shine a white hot spotlight on them make the world a lot smaller place for them and the public does the right thing we give them at give the public an avenue to give us those tips and we've had some incredible incredible arrests uh, on you know it. that was going to be my next one you know uh, so far with in pursuit does any case jump out to you that was like man that so far is the top one I've, I've been able to be involved in. Which, which any any jumping? I've got two. I'll take them both. Oh, no, no, you got time. I want to hear both of them. The, the first one, it was is, is special for, for many reasons. Um, the, it was it was our first episode and it was the first fugitive of episode number one. It was a guy named um, uh, Luis uh, Frias and he uh, had murdered his wife. Um, she was former law enforcement as well. Her name was Jeanette Reyna. And he, they had three children together. And she uh, actually had recently uh, moved positions over to, she was now the director of the Punka Tribe of Oklahoma's domestic violence uh, organization. Um, and she was separated from, from her estranged husband. And he convinced his mother, the grandmother of the children, to call Jeanette and say, uh, grandma hasn't seen the kids, you know, in a while. Can you bring them over to my apartment? Jeanette reluctantly does. She brings the kids over and Luis Frias is there waiting for her in the doorway, pulls her and stabs her 31 times in front of the three children. He takes off and leaves his mother there who winds up getting arrested and charged for, for setting this up. He takes off to Mexico. Well, it's been a couple of years. We in pursuit now is we're starting to shoot we do episode number one on, on this guy and we get a tip that very first night we get a tip that he's in mexico one of our mexican viewers and and we have wow. a, a toll-free number for our mexican viewers they're they're great loyal loyal fan base so we send two u.s marshals down there who get who embed with two uh undercover dea agents and two other federales they put surveillance on the home for 24 hours they, they get eyeballs on the guy and they arrest him. And what they did is wow. they were given Jeanette Reyna's issued handcuffs that she used as a police officer and slapped those on the wrists of this, this guy Beautiful. and extradited him back to the U.S. So that's, that, a, that's you know, an awesome story. You know, it, 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 if there's such thing as poetic justice, that's you know, right. I think that's a great example. But the other case that sticks out to me is one that I did. And it was a serial child molester, a guy that was a, a youth a pastor, uh, a youth pastor in Texas, Abilene, Texas. And he had not only 
been uh, grooming and abuse, sexually abusing this young boy for years, but he had groomed the parents to where the parents uh, had him move into their above garage thinking he was, you know, this, this great guy that, you know, he was actually, he'd been recently married and this was all to prey on their son. And he molested this boy for years and just, it is devastating, ruined this child's life. Well, he takes off uh, when, when, you know, the, the truth comes out and he takes off again to Mexico. Uh, and this is what we say, even if they go down to Mexico, we can still get these guys back. <laughs> right. He goes down to Mexico and the pandemic hits and I go, oh my God, we're not going to catch anybody. The pand- everybody's inside. Nobody's out there. Nobody's going to give us tips. But you know what? We caught more guys during the pandemic. I'll tell you what, even though we were in lockdown, we were still getting guys locked up. And in this case, a little old lady in Mexico, a fan of the show, spotted him in a gr- in a Walmart of all places. Apparently this guy, I mean, he's kind of a recluse. He's very internet savvy, would only come out every couple months for supplies or whatnot. I think, you know, the 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 initial phases of, of Corona and the lockdown kind of got him out to, you know, go and get those yeah. resources. He's at Walmart. She Had follows him around. She follows him around. Walmart's taking pictures of him because he has very noticeable tattoos that we'd show. There was a, a Star Wars tattoo on his leg and some other tattoos. Not something I recommend for our viewers to do to follow around these perps and take pictures of them. Please just just give us the tip. But without those images, I mean, it was spot on. It was him. No doubt about it. The U.S. Marshals went down there and extradited him back. He was just sentenced to 99 years in jail. We couldn't toss that extra year in there. We, the judge couldn't just make it around 100. <laughs> no, right? right? But we'll take the 99, buddy. Two great right. success stories, and I'm sure more are going to come. Uh, I've been a fan, still a fan, since day one of America's uh, Most Wanted. Most certainly going to be a fan and, and catch every episode of what you guys are doing in pursuit. Um, you know, on behalf of the Broward Sheriff's Office and the 1.9 million residents that reside here, I'm going to tell you as, as the sheriff, thank you guys. Thank you so much for what you're doing. We appreciate the partnership. Uh, before we cut out, I'd, I'd like to know, is there any way, any content, any information you want to uh, talk to our listeners today, if they want to get in touch, how do they reach out to Nick Met? How do they get engaged if they have a tip or if they're just looking for information? Sure. Uh, listeners can go to missingkids.org. And there is so much there for your listeners to dig their, their teeth into. There's great trainings for parents and for community leaders and law enforcement as well. Uh, You can search our missing children's database and look for any missing children in your area. There's incredible prevention education resources, both real world safety and online safety for parents to to show their kids. And we have everything from, and we've got great social media channels as well, at Missing Kids on Facebook, Instagram, every platform, even TikTok, we're there with great information. But look, People can go search our missing children's database or go to our social media feed and they can post a poster of a missing child on their feed. You know, if you think there's a case that might not be getting as much attention in the media, post that on your social media feed. All it takes is one person to see that poster, give us that tip or send that tip to law enforcement. And you could be the reason a child is reunited with their family. You can really be part of part of the difference and part of the change. So I I encourage anybody to go to missingkids.org. Of course, we're a nonprofit, so donations are incredibly helpful to us. But, you know, you can actually engage with our content. You can post images of missing children on your social media feeds and really be part of that solution. Man, look at that close up. He's done this before. Uh, <laughs> listen, for those of you who are joining or co- popped in, you know, five, six, seven minutes in, I'm going to re- request that you go back and start fresh. Uh, you missed a great one today here on Shop Talk with the Sheriff, our special guest, uh, if you haven't figured out, it's Callahan Walsh. He has been an outstanding advocate for 
overall public safety, but with the work he and his family has done for decades when it comes to safeguarding our most viable asset, which is our children, uh, just has been spectacular. Talked a little bit about his role in activities within the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, the episodes and uh, new host being a uh, new host on the show of In Pursuit, The Hunt. I say watch them all, get engaged, get on the websites, join us. Uh, Callahan, again, thank you again for joining us on Shop Talk with the Sheriff. Open access, buddy. Anytime you're here in Broward County, come see me. I'd love to be able to shake your hand and talk to you. So thanks again yes. for joining us. No, thank you so much. I really can't thank you enough. And, you know, Florida is my, my home state. So really just, you know, the, the partnerships that we've had over the years, you know, we want to make our community safer. And that's really what it's all about. Outstanding. For everyone on the, sh- on the podcast, thank you for joining me on Shop Talk with the Sheriff. Remember to follow me on Instagram at BSO Sheriff Tony. It's not a stunt double. It's me. Also, subscribe to the podcast. You get early alerts for every new episode. In the meantime, stay safe, be humble, and try to love somebody a little bit more than you love yourself. Until next time, take care.